you have it on the screen? Yet? Whoa, hello, there it is. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> the joy of being a sound guy. Um, so, I did hear you guys say hello, so you definitely heard that. Um, but last, last time we heard about this, we heard Graham speaking on, being, uh, on shining out. And how we do that is through living as God calls us to live. So the way that we live will be persuasive because of the way that it would be persuasive in the fact that the way that we live would convince people of the truth. Um, we also heard that it would be potent, just as salt is. It adds flavor. It has uses in cooking. It also had use in preserving things. And we, taught, we heard about the fact that it is very potent. Um, and then it's penetrating. It's like light. You cannot merely just have it off in a distance and not notice it. So tonight we're continuing to look at this series. And we're going to go through the uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, which is the story of the 72 being sent out. So if you guys have your Bibles on you, it's in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. I don't have it on the screen because I can't see it anyway, so. <laughs> um, but let's read it, hey? After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was going to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out your workers into, the har- into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take your purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace be to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest upon them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. So when you, hear, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them that the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed into its streets, oh, when you are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town I will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. So, um, before I get fully into this, I would like to pray. So if you join me, bow your heads and we'll just do that now. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the way that you are faithful, the way that you have used the way that you've used scripture as a way to teach us, grow us, and shape us. God, I just pray that tonight you would speak through me. If it is of me, would you just make it so that the words fall from my mouth and nobody hears them? But if it's from you, would you let it sink into the hearts? God, I just pray that you would be in this message as we go forward, as without you, we have nothing. Amen. So, we see a lot happening in this verse. Um, I wanted to start off by speaking a bit broadly. Um, We kind of see this is Jesus' introduction to the 72 for ministry. This is him sending them out before him. This is the first time you really see them all told, go on without me. You're going before I go. And he kind of starts, there's a structure here that any good teacher kind of follows. He starts by orienting them towards what they need to have in their heart before they go. Um, He reminds them of the importance of the message that they're there to carry. He reminds them whose message it is and who's in control. And then he tells them to trust him and then gives them instructions on what they do when they get there. He kind of starts really broad and says, this is how your heart is to be oriented if you're going to go. And then he starts to narrow it in and he starts to bring it in. So I figured I'd start the same way because if you just did it, why not? Um, (laughs) So, um, interestingly, I actually wanted to take you guys on a bit of a wander through my memory, which is scary. Um, I found my first ever Bible this week. The first one I was given when I was 17 and a new Christian. And lo and behold, I looked at this set of scripture and it had notes on it. So I thought I'd take you through a wonder of where I came to when I first came, like when I first read this scripture. 
and then I kind of present where I'm at with it now, and then I talk to you about how it all makes sense afterwards. So, um, looking at the wrong sheet of paper, I should turn this one over. Um, so, when I first saw this scripture, I found it pretty overwhelming. Hey, so Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've worked in a situation where the workers are few, and it doesn't make for an easy job. It tends to mean that you overstretch. It tends to mean that you do things that aren't necessarily your thing. For me, I work in airports. It means that sometimes I'm the guy that has to run the electrical cables because we didn't have an electrician there that day. We get them to check it before you all plug it in, but still feels nervous doing a job that shouldn't be yours. Um, so, I got pretty. Over- I thought this was pretty overwhelming, apparently. Um, and then... When it comes to the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, it then says about asking God to send out workers. I interpreted that to be, well, send me, which is a pretty good interpretation, but I thought that that meant send me to do everything, and that was kind of a bit skewed because I'm not good at everything. Um, Notably, no one is. So the next step, we get told that they don't reorient themselves and that the workers are few, and then he moves into um, calling them to rely on him. And he says, go, I'm sending you out like uh, sheep among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Um, First of all, this adds to my overwhelming argument, being sent out like a lamb among wolves. That doesn't sound tempting. I don't know if I'd agree to do that. I've seen seen what animals do to each other, let alone a wolf to a lamb. A lamb really has no defense, especially when sent out against a wolf. So... Um, this adds to the overwhelming argument, but you need to rely on him. This is what he's saying here. He says, don't take your food, don't take your bag, don't take your purse, don't take your sandals. He's calling them to truly like trust in him. And what I thought this meant was trust in him for practical things. You know, you don't need your coin purse, I'll provide food when you get there. You don't need your bag because I'll provide what you need. You know, it seems pretty simple, it seems pretty straightforward and practical. So these are my notes back then. And then the final bit was the... Uh, if the message is received, well, stay and help. And help. Do the sick, heal the sick. Continue to spread the word. But if not, as Hayden put it earlier in a practice, be chill, but move on. Um, <laughs> so you get told that if they're not accepting of you, it's okay. Just keep moving. Now, I thought this led me down to a strange path where it was almost a blasé attitude, where it's like, okay, I'm going to preach the gospel to anyone, and I'll do it until they say no. And then when they say no... Oh, well, I tried. I don't think this is the exact meaning here. I don't think I've gotten any of these exactly right when I read it when I was 17, but we're going to keep moving on. So, now we get to the point where I start talking about what I think about this now. And I think I wasn't 100% wrong. None of these views are completely bad. None of them ignore the scripture. All of them read the scripture, and all of them kind of line up-ish. But I definitely missed some stuff. So, I wanted to start with the overwhelming pressure because this was the biggest one. I found it really crippling in my early faith of like, how do you do anything if this pressure is on you? You know, if you're going out as a uh, sheep among wolves, if you're going out with nothing, if you're no good, how do you do anything? I want to be able to present the word well. I want to be able to do these things well. I don't want to just fail at it. So I feel this overwhelming pressure and I can't do anything. But when I came to it later, um, I I figured out that I was taking responsibility for more that's mine. God calls me to a specific place to do a specific thing in a specific time, just like he does to the 72. And I was trying to take that box and extend it. I was trying to be the guy that does more stuff because there's not enough workers. 
what he actually is calling them there to do is to just do their work well, do it diligently, serve faithfully. Give it to him and he will work through what you're doing. Do I still feel pressure? Yeah, I feel incredibly nervous a lot of the time, um, especially when I'm asked to speak in front of people. Yeah, it sucks. I've been racking my brain about this for weeks because I'm nervous and I still haven't quite gotten the hang of giving it to God and trusting he's going to do something with it. Um, But now where it used to be overwhelming and it would cripple me, now I see it almost as a... You're being reminded that the work that you do is important, but that you're only called to do what God calls you to do. He knows you. I read a silly Facebook quote, I think Neil must have posted it, that said, um, (laughs) it was really enlightening, okay? Sometimes they're really, really good. But it said, like, God's plan accounts for your stupidity. And I found that really useful, because sometimes I move, and I go, yeah, this is great, and I look at them and go, ooh, that was a bad idea. God knows that. He knows that about me. He knows I'm ready, fire, aim. Um, And he accounts for that. I I need to learn on self-control. I need to grow in these ways. But it doesn't mean he can't account for it. And it it actually took so much pressure off, realizing that I don't have to do what I'm meant to do, what Neil's meant to do, and what everyone else is meant to do, because there's only a few workers. It's actually just that you're called to do your part. You're called to work in God's field. He called you to where you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you're doing. You just have to faithfully serve him, and it'll turn out. And then, finally, I realized that I was ignoring a piece of the scripture where it says that... Um, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You're not called to just do your part. You're called to pray for others to join you. You're meant to pray for others to be with you. You're not the only worker. Sure, the workers are few, but you're not the only one. Even in the 72, we see them sent out in pairs. Um, so, let's, uh, let's talk about how we rely on God and how we trust on God, hey? I have come to the conclusion that I was fairly close. You know, he does provide in practical ways. I moved out of home when I was 17, and my home was fairly hostile. And I think it would have been probably about a week's delay between me realizing my home was getting hostile and Hayden buying a house and telling me that I had a room if I wanted it. He definitely provides in the practical. He doesn't just leave you. He is in the situation working, trying to work it all for good. But I realize now that it goes way deeper. It's not just the practical needs. It's actually the needs of your heart. It's the needs of the work that you're going to do. He doesn't just send you out in the field with no tools. He progressively grows you, gives you tools to be able to go do the work. Um, So this is not just a call to find a place to stay, to find a place to have the practical needs, but it's a call to trust him beyond that. He not only tells them that they need to bring nothing, but he also tells them they're going among a lamb, like lambs among wolves and to bring nothing. Now, again, this doesn't sound very tempting, but I think what he's doing here is to telling people not only to trust them with, his physical, with their physical needs, but to trust them beyond what they trust the physical things of the world. No matter if you had your bag, if you had your sandals, if you had your coin purse, it wouldn't be easier to go amongst wolves. None of these things would help. Instead, you need to trust him. He's the one that carries you through. Um... So yeah, this is just a very practical way of them saying, I need you to trust me beyond the practical. I need you to trust me with everything that you are. And then the message, how to respond if a message is accepted or rejected. I kind of agree with what I said initially with the, um, that we're not to take it personally when people reject this message. It flat out says it later on in verse 15, 16. Whoever listens to me, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Very clearly here telling people, don't take it personally if people reject my message. They're going to. It's okay. 
you're not fully responsible for that. You're not responsible if the corn dies after you've harvested it. You're not responsible for how the cornfield is looking when you get there. You're responsible for doing the part where I called you. So I think, again, this adds to the pressure if you start thinking of it like I am responsible for how every piece of corn does in this cornfield. When you say it like that, it doesn't really make sense. Um, I'm not responsible for how corn grows. I don't think any of us are. You can help it, but you know, there's a part of it that's not in control. Um, so I think when accepting the message it does, it reminds us that it's important. It reminds us that it's a message that is necessary. And it even more so does this when he talks about it being rejected, where he says, um, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. He reminds us that it's important when we're rejected to not just pick up, leave, don't tell them anything, just go. They rejected the message. He still gives these towns another warning. They've clearly been preaching in this place and then they've been rejected and they're still called to say it as they go. To go into the streets and publicly say, hey, the kingdom of God is coming near, I want to remind you of the gravity of the thing that you've just said. Why I find it so important. So practically where it created a blasé attitude for me early in my faith, I think it actually needs to create anything but. It needs to refocus you. It needs you to realize that this message you carry is important. And that these people need to be reminded of the fact that, hey, this is the most important decision you can make. And if they reject it, if you're called to move away, if you're called to do something else, like if you move away, that's okay. But I still think you can do loving friendship with them, reminding of the, them of this. So that's how I practically think that plays out. So, now that you've put up with me ranting about how silly 17-year-old Chris was, um, what does it have to do with anything? Why is it important? Well, as I said, the message we carry is very important. It's important to continue to spread it and continue to share it, and we're all called workers. But I wanted to do this as a bit of a scary exercise for me, to be honest, because I don't like letting people know when I've been silly, and I think a lot of those worldviews were close, but I really missed the point. Um, I actually wanted to do it because I think it speaks to a deeper thing of how we interact with Scripture and how we look out. Right, I haven't mentioned looking out very much, but I think this actually talks to how we should look out. Rather than looking for the specific circumstance where we can look out, rather than looking for that moment where God says, I'm calling you to Togo, like Andrew had, or I'm calling you to go preach the word to that city over there, or I'm calling you to go be friends with that person. This kind of gives us that framework to look at how we do life where we are. We never stop being workers just because we don't have a specific place where we are called to. Not all of us are going to be like the 72 and called to a different country. Some of us are called to just be a trolley boy at Coles who preaches the word wherever he gets a chance through his actions and we get to share through skating at a skate park. I use Rainer's example for those of you who don't know. Um, but I think that this example really shows how you were to look at life in general. We are to look out always. We are to reflect, we are to grow, we are to change the way that we use, not use scripture, but we are to change the way that we look at this. It's not just specifically intended for the 72 who were sent. It's not just intended for missionaries, it's intended for all of us. How can we be those that reorient ourselves around Jesus? How can we be those that orient our hearts to be pointed at him so much so that we see that there is a world that needs us? How do we be... How do we know this importance? How do we deeply carry it with us in our hearts? How do we continue? I think this actually, this scripture informs a lot of that. Um, 
And I made a lot of fun of 17-year-old Chris, but 17-year-old Chris got to be nearly 25-year-old Chris with this, with this theology. Growing and making mistakes like trying to do absolutely everything. But I got here. And God used the dodgy reading of that scripture to call me into a house where I moved out with Hayden and did some dumb things as someone learning how to live out of home. But now I can be a responsible adult living at home with my sick mom. Like these things where I could look at that and say that it was pure stupidity and there was no good in it. God turns for good in the fact that I lived out of home and learned how to do what I'm doing now. I think um, some things in our life are unchanging. Some things, sorry, some things like this are unchanging, like the importance of the message, like the message itself, and like, how, like who God is to us and how important he is. Some things are easy like that where it's unchanging, it's right there. I say easy, but it's easy because it's not changing. Some things we have to be a bit more adaptable. I think this scripture, and in reflecting for this week, I was actually thinking through why it's important that we are adaptive. Why it's important that we're called on a journey, not just a snap, everything's fixed. Not just a, you're ready for one situation, therefore that's where you're going to stay forever. No, we're called to put down our bag, put down our purse, put down our um, sandals, don't even wear shoes. Um, But we're called to do all of this repeatedly. We're called to look at our life every day and go, okay, how can I keep myself oriented on Jesus? How can I keep myself looking out for the community? How can I look out to the community in my day-to-day life? So the things that are changing for us, I wrote down some of them. Some of us move from being teenagers to kids to adults in uni to adults in the workforce to parents to missions trips to all of these different areas where we can be called. And God doesn't just call us to do nothing in those positions. He actually calls us to do his work in those places. So as I reflected on this, I wanted to ask you guys to join me in thinking about it. Um, where how is God placing you how are you being hang on sorry how do you use where you are for God how do you use what you use what you're doing for God how are you a good student who is focused on studies but also is looking out who is also understanding that this message is of some is of importance how are you sharing it with your friends and how you act how are you sharing it and what you do How are you considering love in a situation where it's not fun? How are you considering grace in a situation where you really don't want to show it? I wanted to kind of think about, these are the ways that I think practically we can look out. We can show love to those around us. We can go into communities and talk to people at shopping centers. We can go into our workplaces and make make friends with those at work and do that well. I think it would be a bit silly of us to actually just focus this scripture on the missionist side of things. It's really good that it has this pointed focus towards going out into a community, even into a distant community. But I think it has a call to how we shape the world that we're in, how we are in that community shaping that community, how we are a worker in our field. We should be earnestly praying for other workers. We should be praying that people find this truth. We should be praying for alpha courses. We should be praying for things like that because these are how we end up with more workers. Rather than trying to take on more ourselves, we should be helping people who can take stuff on. I learned this the hard way through being a sound tech, actually. This lesson was really potent. Um, I tried to be the sound tech that was on every week. That gets hard. That negates other things that you get to do. So now we've trained a whole bunch of people. There's Caleb up the back. There's Nick Pano. There's a heap of them. 
and we're training fellow workers. We're allowing workers to move into the field. We're praying for them, and then when they're, when they're there, we're interacting with them and helping them. And I think, again, this is how God calls us to, this is how we get provided these tools. We have people who came before us who give them to us. I was trained by Steve McCarthy and John Schneider. I was then told, now train people. <laughs> so I think looking out comes down to this massive shift in orientation. Not, it doesn't have to be, I guess it is massive, because it changes everything you do. But it's rather than looking at what is God calling me to do next, it's how can I use where I am for God while looking out. I think so many of us, I know I stumbled with this, with that pressure to share the right words, to say the right things, to do the right things, to do everything. Um, but there's a real peace in knowing the fact that you just move where God calls you and he'll make the rest work. I think when I was uh, just, just to bring this back to some sort of practical application, think through when you're doing life, again, how you do life, what you how are you doing your relationship? How are you doing your work? How can you turn all that to God? I'd encourage you guys, as um, I actually wanted to get the band to come up, I actually would encourage you guys to think through not just what you're doing, but how you do it. Talk about it with your friends. Pray about it. Interact with it. Don't just leave it as, I made that decision. I understand that earlier. Because your situations will change. Your circumstances will change. And God wants to use where you are now. He doesn't want you to just stay where you are. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then, yeah, we're just going to do one more song, I think. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you were here tonight. God, I just thank you that you are faithful to us, that whether we're called to a mission field or whether we're called to being a uh, stay-at-home parent looking after kids, whether we're called to being a uni student, you want to use that for your good. God, I thank you that you're not just a one-trick pony. You actually meet us where we are. You meet us... And you meet the community where they're at too. And you call us to look out and you call us to go into that. So God, I just thank you for how you're with us and how you're faithful to us. Amen.